Striving and Thriving is the career development podcast inspiring you to make some bold changes. It's time to sweat the big stuff. Each week, we speak to industry figureheads at different stages of their journey to understand what it takes to successfully manage your career. I'm your host, Laura Johnson, and today I'm joined by Lucy Wilson, HR leader and founder of That People and Culture Company. To get us started, can you tell us a little bit about your career background and your current role? Yes, I can. I am the founder and director of That People and Culture Co. I started with a sole trading kind of business, which was That People and Culture Lady. And recently, after 16 plus years working within HR, people and culture, employee experience, whatever we want to call it in that area, decided to throw together what I thought was a good concept in terms of building incredible people and culture experiences and create a company that does exactly that. So here I am working with some of the, you know, the clients that had kind of got me to that point as well. So that's what I do for work. And I guess that's sort of my new job, which is exciting. Super exciting. Doing your own things always exciting. And Doing scary own, and a whole bunch yeah. of other things. It's all, <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, it's all of those things. I recently, I was asked this question by a friend of mine around, you know, what are you going to do if you don't have the clients or if that runs out or how are you going to make sure that you kind of make the same level of salary or income for yourself, you know? And I think these are things before before I made that decision, I had to really consider because why wouldn't you start your own company after moving into state back home to Brisbane where you haven't been for 16 years, where you just buy your first ever property and have a mortgage, right? Why wouldn't Great you timing. Mm-hmm. So far, so good. And so far, so lucky that the clients I got to know through, whether it be board seats, whether it be through having this incredible network in Sydney, which I miss very much. I miss Sydney a lot. Um, it's been really great being, you know, it's almost like a privilege and a reward to know that people are prepared to invest in you and put their money and their action sort of where their compliments are. Mm-hmm. That's been yeah. really great. And that's probably something that I needed coming out of the last role, I think. I really want to talk about your why a little bit more than what you're currently doing. But before we do that, can we talk a little bit about how you've ended up getting to where you are? Like, what was your first role? How did that evolve? And how did it kind of, yeah, how did you end up where you are? So crazy story. I mean, it's not super crazy, but it's a little bit crazy. And I am by no means, I mean, you would know just from our, you know, interactions to date that I am no vanilla or cookie cutter HR, that's for sure. So it's a graphic description of what happened. But Essentially, I was probably about 19, maybe 20. I just lost my mum and I was at the Gold Coast driving around in this little red Festiva and a guy ran a red light and it ended up wrapping my car around the pole. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to the Gold Coast, Laura, but there's this big, there was at the time this big slingshot. It was like this big ride that's kind of in the centre of the main service paradise. Anyway, so I ended up smashing the car and crashing and going to the hospital. And it was a really big event at that point in my life because there, you know, weren't that many people around. My brother luckily was just working up the road and he came and kind of got me and we went through the process and I couldn't walk that well for a little while. Like just was really uncomfortable. Definitely was lucky. 
And so the role that I was doing at the time, which was heavily based on my legs, you know, lots of retail background, that type of thing, I couldn't do anymore. So a really good friend of mine at the time in Brisbane put me in touch with a woman called Susie Major. And there's another story here, but I'll stay on track. I won't digress too much. Susie introduced me to, she's like, oh, I've got this great role you might like with PricewaterhouseCoopers. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, I don't know who they are, but sure. You know, 20, been working in retail, no idea. And no, no degree, right? You know, like at this point. So I'm kind of going, this, this sounds fun. So I get in and PwC hired me as their kind of, they had a staff service center in Brisbane, just in Eagle Street. And I was there like terminator. I used to process the terminations. So when people were leaving or resigned or were let go, you know, I was processing them all. And it was really great. I got to talk to everybody, you know, in each, so in each firm, whether it be over in, you know, Perth or whether it was in Sydney. And I got to build these great relationships. So when they asked me if I wanted to be permanent, I was of course like, yes, I would love to do that. And then they asked me if I was interested in moving to Sydney and they promoted me and I I got to work in Sydney. And so the Sydney journey of people and culture and, you know, talent and resourcing and global mobility began because that firm at that time was going through such a significant transformation. And I remember experiencing there the GFC as well in sort of 2008, wasn't it? I remember that day and what that was like. And they had some really cool pieces of work for me as a junior that I got to get involved in. And that was a real sort of platform, right, of this is how HR best practice happens. This is what we do. This is what we don't do. This is how we do it. And this is why we do it. And that, you know, opened so many doors. So from there, I have to say the rest was kind of history because when you have a brand like PwC behind you, rightly or wrongly, it actually presents a certain way. And from there, I just started to think about, okay, well, do I want to go into more generalist or do I want to be a recruiter? Do I love internal? What is the EVP piece for me? And do I want to play with that? Or do I want to be in more of a leadership role or starting to hone in on some of those skills? So I took a contract with Bank West who had an HR consultant role with them. And I had a great time. Took that for a year. And then from there, so the story goes, went and worked for Panasonic, worked for an insurer and slowly progressed, whether that be to national business partnering roles, whether it be to HR director roles, got my first flavor for filling in for an HR director in one of those positions, which was awesome. And once I had a flavor for that, I was like, I want to keep doing this and growing this. So found myself in, you know, another professional services firm, took up a great opportunity with Deloitte. And that was a strategic move at the time for me. And that's probably when the career really started to make sense and how we drive value through incredible and differentiated, right? People experiences is actually a huge deal. And it can be the difference in how you move the needle or not, and whether you get respect from stakeholders or not, and whether you really actually impact your 2000 people in your service line. It was amazing. And their values and their culture at Deloitte certainly spoke, you know, spoke really strongly to me. So I loved that time. And it, it really allowed me to pivot at that point and get a little bit of insight into that digital space. I got to look after their internal client services business at the time and assurance. And I loved the tech business there. They had a really savvy partner 
in their tech business who was really driving transformation and a really great PMO leader at the time. And I remember going, oh, this is really cool. They were building out their digital practice. And I remember thinking, I would love to do this as like in a top dog role, right? Where I get to make some decisions and it's going to be great. And I'm going to grow a company and I want to go and work in scale-ups or startups, whatever, but it seems fun. You know, I went um, and I did a little bit of research about scale-ups and, you know, I've been in these large corporates. I'd never had any scale-up experience, but I think the hustler, the survivor, the girl that didn't have the same background as the others at the firms was like, I just want to do this. I feel this connection with this business. So anyway, I went to Bondi Junction and I went and had a conversation with um, this founder and CEO, of co-founder actually, he owned it with his brother of um, Leadbolt, which was a mobile tech advertising platform. And, and, you know, I remember him saying to me, he's like, now why would we hire you given your, <laughs> given your experience and what can you do? And there was something about Dale when I met him where I just kind of wanted to prove to him that I could do this. I don't know if it was just a career death wish or if I just really was kind of excited by, I was probably excited by what I walked into, which was a guy got the door for me at the time. I know this sounds crazy, but when I walked in, you kind of walked into this tiny little reception area and then there was the office was open plan. It was really, it was such a great experience culturally. And I remember thinking, these are the types of people I want to work with. And I loved the fact that even though we had an administrator who was female, I loved the fact that a member of the team, a senior leader and a male, by the way, a Jewish male from the other end of the office came and got the door. And his name was Gabe. And I have been friends with them ever since. They are wonderful people. And from there, I kind of went through the interview process with him. And I remember thinking, God, I really hope I've got it. And he gave me a crack and I got this head of people and culture role and I didn't want to change doing that ever after that. You know, we built that business and got to hire a team and it was just really exciting. And I'd often get asked, you know, why would you leave Deloitte to go to a scale-up? And I thought, they're not the people that I'm going to hire. The ones I'm going to hire aren't going to ask me that question. And that's because you know as well, even from your previous experiences, that tech businesses and scaling businesses are addictive. You either become addicted or you don't. And so, yeah, my time there was was amazing and really well spent. And it's actually allowed me to really understand, empathize and feel what it's like to make decisions on behalf of so many people that you're responsible for and accountable for paying, right? It affects your bank account. Those decisions you make affect your family and the family of your people. So it's quite a different way to operate. And they were both two really incredible leaders that I worked with. So I loved that. And from there, you know, went into digital advertising, which made sense at the time as we downsized a little and it was probably too small for me and I needed a bigger beast. So I went and did that. And then from there, transferred back to Brisbane and um, took a chief people officer role with another scale up which was fun for the time that it lasted. But I think there was a bit of a values mismatch for me, probably for the first time in in my career in a long time. And so I was faced with this sort of decision personally where I was like, is this something I can stay in or or is it something I need to walk away from? So I walked away and um, did my time, finished up sort of end of last year and here I am. How that? There's so, I was like, there's so much in there. I feel like we can talk for the next two hours. I hope everyone's ready for the longest podcast yet. 
Well, <laughs> cut whatever you want out of that. But I just thought that is exactly, that's actually how the journey ended up happening. And that's yeah. kind of why I'm here, right? And I am not everybody's cup of tea. So there are plenty of people that just don't want to drink the tea leaves I've got. And that's cool. But I take like great pleasure and just absolute, the purpose for me is helping people be their best selves as much as possible. Because we're never going to be ourselves that are, you know, at our peak and performing at 100% every day of our lives because that's not human. But I love being able to impact people being better or feeling like they've become better. And so with all of these years of experience and these privileged experiences, by the way, I've been able to now kind of carve out some different services that I can offer within that People and Culture Co, right? So I've kind of I've moved it to sort of four or streamlined to four services, which are primarily around scale-up startups, makes sense, transformation work, so on larger scale, coaching, and then anytime HR, which is sort of um, making sure we can put organisations that don't need full-time HR in touch with HR people to help them anytime, right, 24-7. Kind of like your ride or die. That's what I call it. It's the ride (laughs) or die service. Yeah, yeah. Someone in your corner. But that coaching piece has been really interesting more recently because, you know, watching all of these business owners and through my clients, getting to work with people um, that have so much potential in way of leadership um, has been extremely rewarding. And I was doing that. I love coaching. Yeah, I know you do. I know you do. You're very passionate about that. And we need more advocates. I think everybody should have a coach. If it's not around life, you know, and I've got friends that are really good life coaches, if it's not around career, it's just if it's got to do with goal setting um, and changing habits, then I think everyone should have one. Yeah, very worthwhile. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And I think back to like the new leadership piece, I think for coaches is huge. I know we touched on it before, just like it's such a transition going into new leadership. And we've all had experiences with bad leaders in life, like everybody in working life has. And we know the difference that a good leader can make compared to a bad leader. So if more people got coaching and training on that leadership, then I'm sure more of us would have good experiences at work. And going back to your point, you know, just be a better version of themselves at work and have an opportunity to do more, right? That's it. And, you know, when you think about it and you experiences in life affect everything that we do, right? So for me, I know and I feel deeply that life is short. It could end tonight. Who knows, right? You know, you never know. And so, you know, I have always had to check myself on some things because I'll often jump the gun or try and make a quicker decision because I'm like, well, I can't stand being in this. If I don't like this, I'm not my best self and I'm certainly not going to perform for you the way I know that I can because I've got to feel that connection and I've got to feel like I'm being true and honest. So if it's not there, I just kind of cut it and move on. And I've had to learn that there's a way to do that as well. But ultimately, it is what it is. And, you know, there's only so many ways you can skin it. If it's still not good, it's probably still not good. And no one person can be accountable for that in an organisation. No one person. So I would also say any of those HR up-and-comers out there or people and culture leads that love all things PNC, if you ever get a job description that says you're responsible for the culture, don't take the job Just because no one person is responsible for culture. There are drivers and there are key roles within organisations that help you to design that and help you bring it to life. But ultimately, it's actually the values and behaviour that equal culture. And I think it was Simon Sinek that says that. 
It's very much about what we believe in and how we action that, not the HR person, go to HR and they'll sort it out. I feel like we're moving away from some of those roles though, as time kind of goes on and certainly in this new working environment. But I digress. No, no, it's a good digression. The thing I was going to say, have you read the book Great Mondays? No, I haven't. I'll, um, I'll send it to you. It's the future book club book, but I'll send it to you. So it's all about how you design culture. But the idea is that you create these workshops. So everybody starts to know that it's on everybody. Like mm-hmm. it's the behaviors, it's the cues, it's, you know, the drinks that someone organizes the office. It's quite literally everything. So going back to your point, like it can't just be like, oh, that's that person's job and no one else has to care. I oh, think that, yeah, I think it really resonate with you. Yeah, I would love to read that. I'd love to read that. There's a really big thing that is missed often around if you want to bring something to life, you do have to have champs, like people that believe in it with you. Well, you're just kind of doing your own thing really, which doesn't really work in scale up. You can wear lots of different hats, but um, certainly you need to have the people around you that want to bring it to life. I'm doing a piece of work at the moment for a client that is all about their values and they haven't really touched those. They exist, they're organic, but they haven't really kind of brought them to life where they go, this is what this means and this is what it doesn't mean. And this is what and how we integrate that into how we hire, how we attract, how we put our brand out there and represent, right? How we run our people and culture experience and what it feels like to, I don't know, what milestones feel like. How do we integrate that into our values and how do we make sure we're running cross-functional interviews that integrate with values and behaviour. Super important stuff and really cool work, the type of work I love doing with leaders in these businesses. And, you know, we have actually taken a very, very clear, very well-planned approach to, I think, to making sure everybody gets to participate because you won't, it won't go anywhere without buy-in. Totally. And so we have sat down, as you as you suggested, this Monday book sort of talks about, and, um, yeah, we have kind of gone from leadership and said, what do you think they are, one-to-one, workshopped in a group, and then we've cascaded out through surveys throughout the business and we've kind of said, give us your top values, what you think represent who we are now on our best day, and they've got to be inspirational, not aspirational talk to me about what you think they are and then let's develop those further. You know, we only want three to five. We don't want too many, but that's the approach that we're taking. And certainly, you know, we've had a lot more people interested in being part of it than what we would that's if awesome. we didn't engage, right? Yeah, totally. I love so that. I read that. Definitely. I'll send it to you. Going back to you rather than talking about culture, yeah. I want to talk about lessons learned from corporate to startup scale up. Mm-hmm. I love that you wanted to do it and I love your reasons for doing it and that totally resonates. But I guess in terms of once you were in the door, there must have been several moments that you're like, what have I just decided to do? What do you think were the biggest kind of learnings from one to the other? Or if someone else, I guess, is probably thinking about doing the same thing, what advice would you have for them? Yeah. So at Lead Bolt, I remember there was kind of this aha moment where I was thinking when you're in a big firm or a big corporate, you often have people above you who are setting the agenda and setting the scene in terms of what the expectations are for people, right? And when you're in a scale-up, you don't have that. And often the leaders that are in that scale-up are your zero to one leaders, right? They've built the business, they've created and brought a concept to life. But then the the skills you actually need once you're really pivoting is kind of that one to 10 skill set, not the zero to one. 
So you very quickly as an HR person got to figure out who can be one to tens with us mm. and who, who have kind of graduated, right, for want of a better description. Worse, who's affecting us in a negative way, right? And so when I have kind of experienced some scale-ups, but particularly I'll talk to the lead bot example, I remember the way I had come out of a Deloitte was sort of like, well, these are the steps we take and this is the structure. And sitting down with the two founders, I was kind of like, they don't resonate with that at all. They're just kind of like, let's run. You've kind of got to be, and I read this thing recently, they were like, don't use this analogy anymore, but it really is true where you're like almost driving the car while you're changing parts of the engine and then the tires like blown and you've kind of got to balance it with everybody in it. And that was the analogy my old founder Dale used to give me years ago about everything, like he loves an analogy. And I realized in that moment that actually to be able to make a decision and take control of that people and culture realm or the operations realm of that business, realm of that business, I had to have a really good case for why. And then once you've got it, you have to be able to bring that to life and execute it because no one's going to do it for you. And I think sometimes I've been interviewing HR people or anybody actually for any role that's come from large corporates. And I was having this conversation with another client today, actually, funnily enough. And I said to him, you know, it's very rare you do come across someone with years of corporate professional experience that can really do scale up and not come out too damaged, right? Because <laughs> the little things that should be keeping you awake in a scale up don't usually exist in large corporates. So the thing I learned at Lead Bolt, biggest lesson was probably that we move at a pace and sometimes fast is better than not at all. And sometimes just done is better than perfect because you do need to be able to move, but you've got to have that long-term strategy and you have to absolutely have leaders that are bought into that so that they will support that journey. But above all, you've really got to like each other. Like you have to really like who you work with when you're in a small business, because that's kind of where the magic happens. Mm -hmm. At Leibolt, we organically had like so many different religions and so many different cultures. And our founders were very kind of devout Jewish men. And we used to have a prayer group that was actually run out of the office. So we'd have like for Jewish prayer, like you have 10 men, 10 men that have to come to the, to the prayer from what my understanding was, and they'd all come in and pray. And when I first started, we were doing like the culture wasn't quite a hundred percent right. Like we had this great diversity and they were super inclusive, mm. but I noticed the founders didn't really eat with us. So the the Jewish people in the business would eat separately. And because of course they keep kosher and I wanted to integrate that. So we actually did a complete overhaul of how we break bread, essentially, how we'd eat the right down to sort of cutlery, kosher, having it cleaned properly, not sharing certain spaces, but being there together. And that actually really opened up the way we worked and I think built respect because I'm a collaborative person and I want to be with people that want to collaborate. Mm -hmm. And um, that was a really big breakthrough. I remember we had like a holiday party, like a Christmas party the first year and it was a kosher holiday party. Like we did all kosher. We had it kind of, I think they're called a mishka. I can't remember what they're called. They come and clean the kitchen and they clean the area so that it's truly kosher. I'll have to look up that, the name, but I remember organizing all of that and having this great time where everyone got to be part of it. And I think 
that for me was like a really great memory because it was something that created just really strong bonds and a great relationship. Mm. So yeah, building respect is really important when you're working with founders directly because they've put in the hard yards, you know, to build their business. So, so yeah, lots of lessons and lots of learning, I guess. I think that's great. And I think maybe that's just a separate session we'll do about inclusion. But I think that just doing things like that, there's just the understanding that it builds for everyone across the business. But it also just allows everyone, going back to what you're saying, and just be completely authentic about who they are and what's important to them and what they value as Mm. well. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. I'm looking at time and as much as I want to sit and talk for the next two hours about everything that you've done, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions and then let you go. Across all your different roles, corporate, startup, scale up, what's been the best and worst career advice you've had along the way? I've probably had some bad career advice, but I'm not sure that I remember it. And I'm not sure that I cared that much, or it was probably from people that I didn't really respect that much that gave it to me. So I'll pass on that. I think the best career advice I've ever had is to genuinely be yourself and be very, very clear on what your purpose is and what your values are. And if it is not a match, do not go. If you have the option in your life and you get to choose, choose. Take the choice. I love that. Question on values because I always find it super interesting and I 100% agree. Do you think that's something that you get more comfortable with and you understand more as you get older? Because I think now I talk to lots of people about values and I wouldn't work with a founder that I didn't have shared values with. Neither would you. But I think probably 10 years ago, it wouldn't have even been on my radar for that to have been something that I needed to think about. But now it's such a fundamental that you want to work with good people and people that you respect and people that have a shared purpose. Yeah, um, yeah I'd love your take on that. Yeah, I have found purpose personally in doing other things. So I do pro bono work for the Cancer Council. I've been doing that a long, long time. And that was through a friend of mine that put me in touch with them. And I think for me, connections are really important. And my network is something I really pride myself on. Um, And I've met people along the way who've become really dear friends that were incredible mentors and still are really, you know, I was just on the phone to a girlfriend of mine who works over at Deloitte and she's still such a strong influence and a strong mentor. And I had to talk to her about what I do about my dog situation, right? You know, I talked about most things and so for me, that's a clear alignment. We share the same values. So we that relationship can become so much more. But I think you're right. As you get older, you start to realize, and older in your career, you kind of grow up in your career, you start to realize that certain things are just not okay because it feels wrong. I actually think they probably still feel a little bit wrong when you're either younger or less experienced, but you just don't know how to raise it. And I think Therefore, if you're not going to raise it, it's really important you have purpose outside of work, like the pro bono work I'm doing, or that you have things that make you happy outside of work while you look for something else or while you get some really good advice from your mentors around what you should do and start to research. Because I think once you learn and you research and you do more and you figure out who you are and what you enjoy doing, et cetera, those things might happen a little more naturally. So I would just say, make sure if you aren't sure of those values that and that they're shared, that you definitely seek counsel and talk to really good advisors, really good people around you. But be careful about doing that at work as well, as well, right? Because, I mean, if you go and talk to everybody about it and you're talking to people you work with about potentially not sharing values, 
if that's the case and it's probably not an environment that welcomes transparency, you know, it might not go too well. So maybe that's really bad advice. I kind of think that um, if the values don't align, talk to someone, but it's got to be someone that you trust as well. Yeah, I think that's good advice. (laughs) Good caveat at the end. Um, Last question. Who else's career story would you like to hear from? I mean, you know, because I've kind of listened to the, like the Canva stories or the unicorn stories, right? The Atlassians have kind of lived in learning about those. So from a career perspective, it'd probably be some really cool chief people in culture. So you know who I really, I really enjoy Alex from Employment Hero. She's someone who I kind of watch in a non-stop way from afar. That's awesome. Thank you so much for today. No probs. Want to know more about how to get ahead? Be sure to check out striving.io for career development tools and mentorships to guide you through. Striving and thriving. 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 Striving and thriving.